This is Simon Transparently Awakening the heart of humanity As we see beyond the lies And open our eyes to realize This is our time to rise Hello everyone And today I'm with this beautiful being That I call Epic Eric uh, Hey Eric Nice to be here with you Simon <laughs> And this is Eric's first ever uh, podcast And... I would say probably one of the first times going on camera, the other side of the camera, right? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so uh, if many of you know Eric, if you know me, but uh, me and Eric have been journeying now for a few years, and he's been the master uh, behind the camera capturing some, I can only say, exquisite photography from our events. And... It's hard to put into words, and I know he's sitting here with me, and I've told him this many times, but it's hard to put into words the appreciation I have for his photography. Although he doesn't um, uh, name himself a photographer in that sense, which we'll talk about, but um, yeah, it's just amazing. So I'm really, yeah, it feels really beautiful just to have a, a conversation with somebody who I speak with many times, so <laughs> enjoy. <laughs> um, so as you know, I don't ever have a, a real... Um, planned uh, conversation with you yeah just want I just really wanted to bring you onto this uh, into this conversation into this continued conversation that we have around love around truth around connection around freeing ourselves yeah and what I guess to begin with maybe just for people listening because they obviously haven't shared many years with you like maybe tell a little uh, backstory let's say, of um, how you came to meeting me two, well, it was two and a half years ago now. Three. Yeah, it's been three, three years now. It's been three years. Wow, right. three years. Yeah, does that feel right? So, like, so we met three years ago, maybe sort of just... Of course, we've known each other for eternity. But <laughs> <laughs> this lifetime, three years. Yeah, so just should we step back a little bit from there? Mm -hmm. And, like, what, what made you... Yeah, give me a little up... Because I love your story anyway, but give me a little up story to what brought you to meeting us three years ago on a retreat? Well, uh, I guess the shortest way I can put it is just uh, a beautiful uh, uh, coincidence of events uh, that uh, uh, maybe span across uh, two, three years prior. Uh, just being very, very uh, heartbroken, being uh, at a moment in my life in which, you know, uh, a portal was open and a lot of things needed to change. And uh, I did a few things, including ayahuasca, and uh, I was in a retreat with Tilswan, and uh, then I met a woman that had participated in one of the amazing retreats that uh, Simon and Dara uh, give to the world, and uh, that's how I found out about uh, Naked, and uh, immediately signed up for the next one that was happening just uh, two, three months ahead. And that's how we met in beautiful Dominican Republic, 2017. Yeah, 2017. Yeah. Wonderful. So let's so let's go back again. So you're in you're in America, mm -hmm. where you're, you're working in. Where was you based? South Florida. South Florida, um, originally originally from Cuba, mm -hmm. right? And moved to America when? When did you When did you go over to? When America? I was 20, 2000. Right. The year 2000. Then 2000, and then you, yeah, you started a life there, right? Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about like starting a, starting a new life in Cuba and, and take me a little bit back there. In Cuba or in the States? No, when you arrived from Cuba to the States, yeah. Oh, well, I was 
I was not an adult yet. I was 20 years old, but you know, I was still a baby for the most part. Uh, lived all my life under under the umbrella of my mother, and uh, moving into the states was, you know, the beginning of it was under the umbrella of my father. And uh, it was uh, very soon a crazy roller coaster of you know events also happening. And uh, that's when I became an adult. That's when I needed to you know learn how to you know provide for myself for the first time in my life. Uh, and had to you know um, it was a bit of a culture shock in so many ways. Not only because the whole um, differences in economy, but uh, also in relationship, like the way that people interact uh, in a whole different country. Um, the way they communicate, the way that what is acceptable, what is not, all the taboos, you know, all the things that you cannot do or, or can do or say, you know, it was it was a big learning curve for me, that uh, brought a lot of you know, pain, but also of course beautiful expansion in the process. Right, and 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 tell me also, I love I love that transition for you because I would describe you, of course, with masculine and feminine, but I would I would always describe you now as a very feminine and very uh, sensitive, very, um, yeah, just, just that word, really. How do I decide for me? Just sensitive, empathic, um, uh, soft in, 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 you know, in how you are. And you related that always to the deep connection you had to your mother, right? Mm -hmm. And actually, you didn't have such a great relationship with your father, did you? But you had to leave Cuba, leave that sort of, uh, you know, Bubble. The bubble, yeah, the bubble of there, and then be with your father. Mm -hmm. Just talk a little bit about that, how, how that was for you, just in them, in them early ages, them sort of teenage, turning into the man initiation of being with your father, and only with your father, right, in America. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at the beginning it was just me and him in one tiny little room that in the, in the States they call them efficiencies, because they only have like all, everything you need in basically one square, maybe the bathroom in another tiny little square. So it was a very turbulent time with me and my father, which we hadn't really known each other for the majority of our lives, because uh, he was absent for the most part uh, from my life. And now I had a chance to actually live with him you know, on a daily basis. And there was a lot of triggers, a lot of you know, emotions coming up. And um, yeah, it was very difficult. And uh, I, I was just as stubborn as him and just as determined and, you know, and, and strong spoken, even though, you know, the side that you perceive of me, it's more like a soft, uh, uh, accepting, perhaps, uh, side. But, um, but we, we basically, like, you know, we're, you know, headbutting each other. And, uh, and soon after, you know, he decided that, you know, we needed to be apart, that, uh, that he couldn't really support me anymore. And um, How long after from moving there with him? Uh, about a year and a half. Uh, that's when he f first took uh, the step of uh, finding a place for me where I would be, you know, on my own. Uh, and uh, a few months after, he moved back to Cuba, and uh, and yeah, that's that's basically the last I saw of him. He he passed away a few years afterwards um, in Cuba. Right. Mm -hmm. And 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 his your his relationship to your mum also was not was not a great relationship. Right? No, not at all. Yeah, they they had a very turbulent time from the beginning. My mum. Uh, I mean, I heard most of it most of it from my mother's side. But I know for both of them it was uh, it was not a very uh, amicable relationship. I would say uh, there was also a lot of uh, emotion between them that uh, that many of them never really fully uh, cleared from the space. Right. I would say right. it lingered through. Right. So I know we could talk also like you know you coming from Cuba, which was you know rough, right? It was a rough it was a it was a rough environment that you 
that you grew up in. I'm not trying to paint a bad picture, but just give me a little bit of that because your mum couldn't, your mum couldn't get out, right? You then had to be in America, and on some level, you was there as a sort of, I mean, I'm not going to use these words, but like you know, going to the so-called uh, what did you call it? The what do they say? The the land of plenty or whatever, right? right? The it's American like dream. The American dream. I'm going to go there. I'm going to generate money and so on. Right. And was your intention then? to generate money for the family, to, you know, to maybe get your... Because you obviously have a sister that get, got to America too. Just give a, uh -huh. give a little context to that, because I, I love that. Uh -huh. there's a big, you know, there's a big turbulent times. Yeah, well, um, getting out of Cuba is very difficult, uh, uh, more so nowadays, I believe. Um, but for me, I had to wait uh, six years uh, in the immigration process to finally be completed and be allowed to leave. And the intention was that I would bring with me... Uh, Simultaneously in the same journey, my mom and my little sister would come with me. Uh, but for some, you know, you know, destined or, you know, the way that it was meant to be, uh, that didn't happen. So uh, they had to stay behind in Cuba and I had to be the only one traveling to see my father. So it took me another eight years to become in contact again with my mother and my sister after I had already become a citizen and an adult and I could have enough income to, you know, to provide for them and, and bring them to live with me. Uh, so it was a long process to to, to unite again with my uh, my family. Right. So so for that so for that six six year period, one year with your father. Then your father goes back, and then he died when, one year after when he went back to Cuba. Uh, no, no, he passed away. Uh, uh, he went back to Cuba in two thousand three, and he passed away in two thousand eleven. So that was eight years. Right. And so you're now in America on your own, pretty much going through the transition. You know, you're twenty, you're really what, twenty two by then. When he moved back to Cuba, I was 23. Yeah, 22, 23. So still a, you know, a young boy finding his way in America. Uh -huh. uh, you know, new, new, new horizons. And, and how was that for you? How, how was that as, as a sort of initiation? But then also your father dying. Because although you, didn't have, you had quite a head-to-head -head with him, you know, when our father dies, we're impacted in some way. How was that? Tremendously. Whole, yeah, yeah, how tremendously. That I, 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 I like to pride myself on saying that I don't really have any regrets or not many regrets in life, but the one thing I regretted was that I did not heal fully the relationship with my father in the time that he was still alive. With him? Yes, yeah. with him in person. And I intended it to do it. It was my intention, but you know, life was getting in the way. I had other things that I was taking care of, including my mom and my sister, and later on I was in relationship with a beautiful woman that, um, that was absorbing a lot of my time. Right. But I intended to go back to Cuba precisely the same year that he passed away. Uh, and it was shocking to me when I heard the news from my mother because I didn't even know that he was sick. Uh, so that's one thing that I wish I would have uh, fixed, uh, I guess, somehow. But then again, the moment he passed away, that became um, such a profound experience for me because now my father was with me all the time. Now I could feel his energy, his presence more than ever, even more than when he was so far away from me uh, in distance. Uh, and, and, and there was a reassurance that everything was fine, you know, that there was no need to regret anything, that everything that I feel, even if I don't necessarily say it to him, now he can hear it, now he can feel it, mm. and it's all okay. Yeah. So it was definitely a very uh, uh, valuable uh, yeah. time in my upbringing. Yeah, for me, like say for me, as you know, I didn't know my uh, father at all. I didn't get to, I got to meet him once when I was very young, and then I found out that he was... Um, going to die and I got this message of it being like four months he had to live and I had this one conversation I think you know this story so I had this one conversation with him and sharing this for everyone listening and then but in that process of speaking to him being able to tell him that I love him for one but then also just having that exchange and then him dying 
there was this huge release that happened in my body, you know. It's like I, I never actually thought that it would be a physiological something moved in me, you know. It's like it was a whole wave of, I guess, forgiveness and letting go of maybe mm -hmm. even some of the deeper things that I had held against him, some mm -hmm. resentments and maybe expectations that he should have been there for me and all this. And it was like a real physical, even now as I say it, I get mm -hmm. tingles in my arms, a real physio yeah. physiological uh, It's a release. sense of closure that comes along with, right. with, yeah. with those experiences. Yeah, and, and there was this sense of, for me anyway, I, got, I, got, I had the opportunity to at least like you, I know how you view it as well, but to acknowledge him for bringing me here, you know, for being part of that, and for also just to love him and not have a, you know, I'm loving my life and I've had a great time and not to hold him accountable for any of that. So, and I know you've, you've, totally, pretty, much, yeah. you've pretty much, you know, done that process yourself. Yeah. Okay, lovely. So that's beautiful. So is there anything like catapult, cap, catapult me a little bit, give me a sort of nutshell of the American dream life, you know, <laughs> that, you know, you find yourself because uh -huh. of course what you've already told us is, you know, you ended up exploring yourself and I just want to bring this in, you know, I call Epic, we call him Epic Eric, but I also, we, 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 we laugh sometimes and say we should have, forget Ask Jeeves, you know that website online called Ask Jeeves, we say Ask Eric, because Eric is a wealth of knowledge, right, <laughs> is a wealth, is, I don't know how he stores it, where he stores it, but it's like he's <laughs> got penis. this, he's got hard, he's a hard drive, that's what you are, he's just a hard drive of, <laughs> of information. But you know, you, you, there was something in you, because I remember you said about how you studied as well, you've always had this drive, this meticulous nature, and like when you, when you research or study something, you, you know, you go into it full power. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, give me a little bit of that, because you know, that, that led you to in investigating lots of different things. Yeah, I think that um, the most significant influence in my life when it comes to uh, my passion for knowledge was uh, a man that I saw as my grandfather, which was actually my uncle-in-law, he was my aunt's husband. And he uh, passed away in front of my eyes when I was four. And before that time, he had already managed to teach me how to uh, read, uh, write, basic, you know, language, uh, and uh, basic math. I knew how to do basic math. And, you know, like, basically I'm in school a year later and I'm already, you know, feeling like, you know, I've already been taught these things. Uh, so uh, looking back, what I feel is like that gave me such a, such a level of confidence for such a young boy to know that, I already had all the tools in my mind to access anything I wanted to, and it was just a matter of unlocking them. So uh, I'm not sure, you know, if, you know, how many people have had this experience, but for me it was very profound. And then combined with uh, the fact that I was also, like you said, living in a very harsh environment in Cuba, emotionally and physically, uh, and there was a lot of suffering going around, around me and within me. Uh, and there was a big motivation to really answer the question of, you know, why, 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 why is the world like this? Why are people having to deal with all these uh, situations? Why can we just end it? Why can we just fix it all for good? So that was also uh, a big drive that you know kept me through my whole life, uh, uh, just digging out information constantly, constantly looking for answers to everything, which also brought me a lot of trouble because you know I was also very wounded, or you know like we all are. And uh, what I understand now is that uh, uh, there was a deep uh, feeling uh, of wanting to be loved more than I had uh, uh, experience. And uh, in a way, I guess I seek uh, uh, a way to compensate for that by being right. You know, if I wasn't loved, at least I could be right. Mm -hmm. I, could, I could know so much and I could uh, uh, offer that, you know, and maybe be loved for what I know rather than just be loved, period, for who mm -hmm. I am, you know. So, uh, right. 
I guess that was that was, that was drive, the driving force. In, in all honesty, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's beautiful that you should bring that up because Dara and I sometimes, even when we find ourselves in sometimes a, a little dispute over being right, and she always says to me, and, and vice versa, is like, do you want to be right or do you want to belong, right? Mm-hmm. This is this little saying we exactly. have. Because, you know, and I love how you bring that up is that, yeah, there's, that being right is one thing, knowing stuff is one thing, but when it becomes a competition of, or that creates separation, right? Absolutely. And, and actually that brings us into a lovely topic of where we are right now, even in society, where there's so much information and everyone's sharing information in the world, you and I included, um, of what we feel to be, you know, a sense of uh, um, truth or uh, an important area to at least explore, right? And, mm-hmm. and to, to ex- um, yeah, to inquire into. Mm-hmm. And how this idea of being right can create so much separation even though what you just beautifully described it can give a false sense of belonging yeah. belonging and a false sense of like you just so beautifully said is that you're being loved you know you're being revered you're being right. you're being almost accepted as well right. people want to know you so i love you just did that how did that yeah how how was that in those years in America? Did that gain you friendships? You said it was a little bit challenging as well. How did that, how did that go? Because, I mean, you know. Well, you add to that, the, the, like what I was explaining, the big cultural differences, you know, not knowing exactly how words are fully felt. Because, you know, I think that my country, uh, with all its problems and all its, you know, uh, uh, gifts that it has, it also has a culture of uh, very violent communication. I think that we as Cubans, you know, the whole world communicates rather violently, but we as Cubans, we do it even more aggressively. And it took many years for me to fully understand all the nuances of the language and what it was, you know, okay and not okay. For the, the Cuban language. Yeah, for the people yeah. oh, in, in, in this whole new setting that I am in the United States, where people are much more respectful, I would say, uh, and they are more mindful of uh, being politically correct. Uh, uh, Maybe not as much as in Europe, but definitely much more than us Cubans that we always say everything and we just don't care. Um, so that, that that was, you know, right, so causing a lot of problems. Right, because you would just express, or Cubans express just whatever's there. Like, uh, it just comes out. Right. right? And then yeah. it's just like, yes. <laughs> we say we don't have any hair in our tongue. And that basically means, you know, we don't have any problem telling it like we feel it is. And, and, and actually, uh, now that you've explored communication more, would you say that's a level, I know you've just described it as violent communication, but would you say that's a level of also like radical honesty or transparency that they're using on some level? Or is it just absolutely. downright violence? Yeah. Well, it's like everything. There's two sides of every coin. Exactly. And, and one uh, demographic understands the importance of something much better than the other one, but then it misses the other side. So like in QA, yes, we, we do see transparency as something very valuable, but we miss the nuances of like, you want to make someone feel what you, whatever you say with your words it's a gift ultimately and we miss that we miss that everything that we say needs to be a gift and if it doesn't feel that for the person that is receiving it why say it you know mm. just because you want to say it you know just because it makes you feel good letting it out right. so like it's important release. right so right. so it's important to take that in mind and and also feel like no i want to give something to you so let me say it but let me let me be honest to myself, but also 
know that what I want ultimately is to bring you closer to me and not push you away. Which that's not there. That nuance isn't there. Not there for the Cubans. No, yeah, not at all. That, and, and that's, I love that distinction because that's actually what creates the brutality then. Right. Because if there was that distinction of like, right. actually, this is a gift and how I want to communicate, I want to bring you, I love how you said that, I want to bring you closer because right. that's what we want. We want connection at right. the core. Right. Um, then so in the case of change, the... you could still be very, as we are, transparent, right. but it's like a much more empathic, which we're going to come to, but a much more empathic way of communicating. And then you have the opposite side of the coin, which is the people who are in or developed countries who are very, very politically correct, that they're always kind of like walking on eggshells because they don't want to make anyone feel offended or pushed away, which is also taken to an extreme in which now you're compromising on transparency. Now you're not fully being right. honest of what you're feeling because you're afraid of how that might be seen by someone else, which for us Cubans that doesn't exist. But then this is what when, what is perceived from this other side. So mm. I guess I get a chance to see both and you know and then, hopefully find a common ground. Well, you are you are actually. Let, let, let's move into that because I feel that you're definitely practicing that anyway. So let, what what brought you into the yeah the, the realization of being an empath and being more empathic and. And looking, was it because you was researching and seeing so many different things in, I mean, culture and science in, in, I mean, I don't even, you can describe the broad spectrum of what you've been exploring. But, you know, just just humans, really. I mean, I guess I could probably just bracket that you've been, you know, you're interested in humans, right? You're interested in how humans interact, how to connect and, and, and through your... Through being empathic, yeah, talk a little bit about that. How did, what, what, what triggered that? Was it like you was in America and mm-hmm. life was bad? Was it your relationship? Was it, mm-hmm. you know, was it a job? Like, what, what led you up to then deciding I'm going to start inquiring more into myself and maybe even ayahuasca and so on? What, what, yeah, yes, was there yes. something that sparked that? Absolutely, yeah. I should say first, first, uh, so there's no misunderstanding that the word empathic. It's also very. Uh, problematic because we are all empathic as human beings. Right. The only exception perhaps are the psychopath who don't doesn't have that don't have that capacity to fully empathize with another being. But there's this other demographic of human beings who have a I would say higher sensitivity towards empathy. Uh, and uh, I believe that, you know, we are uh, in that group. Uh, that doesn't make us any better, it's just like, you know, we have different struggles. And um, my realization of all of that came as I am in the middle of my deepest uh, moment of suffering, I would say. I had never suffered that <laughs> deep in my life after the woman that I had uh, been in relationship for six years, you know, decided to uh, part ways with me. And um, It's always a love story. I totally, like 100%. I, yes. I, I totally agree that, you know, the moments of higher expansion have always happened from... Uh, the dynamics of relationships and what they produce. Uh, So in that moment, I was very, very heartbroken for a very long time, and um, I just couldn't bring joy into my life again. I was desperately doing all kinds of things to make myself happy again. For how long the period uh, after she she left? I I did ayahuasca a year after, the year after she left. I finally did ayahuasca. So... um, yeah, I was I was lost. I was totally lost, and and I more than anything, what I really wanted to was to fully understand her. I really wanted to understand, feel her motivations for everything that she had uh, done or chosen, uh, and not really judge her. You know, not really come from a place of judgment, right. but really from a place of let me let me feel you be you, and then I can be at peace with it. And that inquiry was what uh, brought me into a lot of uh, information online uh, available uh, in the topic of empathy or empath and uh, uh, psychology, mental health, 
uh, that it all links together. You know, it all has a common denominator. And a lot of clarity uh, came uh, as a result. And also, when I did ayahuasca, uh, that was the ultimate. That was what really brought me uh, to my knees and, and, and opened up my eyes wider than I had ever, you know, had them in my whole life. Mm. Uh, so, so just go, just it's lovely. Thank you for sharing that. So in that year period before the ayahuasca journey, we'll come to that in a moment, but... Like you was feeling low, you was feeling, you know, um, would you say depressed or just more, it was a, quite a state of depression? Was there like just, you wasn't feeling any, uh, you was what, judging the world, it was all it was all sort of doom gloom vibe, but you still had the seed of you that wanted to understand, right? There was still that part of you that needed to know, like you just described. So what was that, just a case of staying home on the computer or working, come home, get on the computer study? How was that? I was just trying to picture uh-huh. that. Uh, no, no, I, I, I mean, I have been broken in my li- heartbroken in my life uh, a few other times before, so I, I was very familiar with the feeling. The feeling of heartbreak, I would say, that uh, subsided after the first month or two. But uh, after that, I was in relationship with another wonderful woman, and I was doing my best to really be happy. I was, uh, I was not sitting at home just in front of the computer or doing anything like that. I was, you know, in, in the United States, what we mostly do is work. We work too much, I would say. And in between those hours of working, I would just... Um, uh, uh, connect, or I would just take vacations and go back uh, to Cuba and do all kinds of things that normally would have made any human being very, very happy. But there was something in me that was just not able to reflect the whole experience, something that was just empty, devo- like a, a void. Um, and I couldn't feel, I didn't know how to feel it. Uh, like all I could think of was, uh, you know, I, 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 I want my old life back, you know, mm-hmm. I want whatever illusion I had created in my mind about the way things should go, yeah. I wanted it back. Yeah, you know? this moment wasn't um, enough. It's like the right. past was better. better. Right, yeah. right. And there was no acceptance, and that's yeah. what needed to change, yeah. you know. Uh, come to terms with, you know, with everything that was perfect, you know? right. but I couldn't see it in that moment. Yeah, because now you have very much have that, that mindset instilled much more, right? So then exploring... And I mean, the, the, the idea of, you know, the divine design that, you know, this moment is perfect, whatever's, you know, whatever's happening. However, like, so then, yeah, what, 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 why the ayahuasca? Let's go there. So like mm-hmm. yeah, a year goes by, you're in this new relationship, you're working and, and so on. And somebody just tells you or was you curious? Because, you know, they say the whole ayahuasca journey is that mother calls you, right. you know, something, there's an intrigue. Yes. Can yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, the first person that actually made me aware of the concept of ayahuasca was actually my ex, the same woman that I'm uh, talking about. And uh, I, you know, just never really appealed to me that much when she brought it up. And she was just saying, like, I need, I need to do it myself. I, I, would, I really need to do it. I need to go to Peru, to the jungle, and do ayahuasca. And, of course, I thought it was a crazy, you know, totally, you know, French, you know, concept. And I started researching about it. And I realized that, you know, there's a lot of risk involved. And, of course, I focus on all the things that could go wrong, or rather the things that could go right. And that never happens when we were still in relationship. But later on, when I'm now the one, you know, feeling the, the call, if, if, I, if I should say, uh, the, the, the thing starts popping up. You know, I start seeing you know, people talk about it and you know, it's in my field. And uh, the breaking point for me was when, um, because I had already started looking more seriously into potentially doing it. Uh, but it, the places that I felt more safe to do it were too expensive, you know, um, just off limits for me. But then a friend suggested me this link uh, about an article about ayahuasca, which is from this other website 
collective evolution. We probably, you know, yeah, know. Yes. yeah it's Why a very, still around? yeah, they're still around doing amazing work. So it was something very trustworthy for me, a very good article. I read it and they recommend this specific place uh, in Peru. And then I immediately go online and I look up this place and it turns out that it's actually quite affordable, you know, for at least for the lifestyle that I had in the United States. And I immediately, you know, sign up. I, I had the feeling that that was the right thing that I needed to do in that moment after a whole year of not finding joy. I was like, what could go wrong? You know, at this point, I don't even care. You know, I need to do this thing. And I couldn't have asked for a better place to do it. It was just like the best experience, you know. So you went to Peru? You yeah. jumped on a plane? Yes, I went to Peru. First, I, I, uh, I hiked to Machu Picchu. Yes, he hiked to Machu Picchu and then he never came back. No, that's not true. But I have to jump in here and say that's the end of this podcast today because unfortunately during the podcast we had a technical issue and the second half of Epic Eric's story, the sound was really poor. However, I did still put that sound up on a YouTube video so you can listen if you're really dying to hear the rest of his story. And if not, then this is what we have to offer you today. You may ask, well, why did I just put half the story? Where's the rest? But for me, if you've listened this far, you will know that it's really inspiring, Eric's story, what he's overcome, how he's followed his heart, and how he's continued to live his truth and go against the challenges and the adversities that he's had to face from his cultural uh, bringing up all the way up until where he is today. I did say to Eric, would you jump on and do another podcast? But because he's kind of an elusive friend to get hold of and podcasts are not his everyday thing, I wasn't sure if I would ever get him back. So that's why I wanted to still put this part of the story up for you to listen to. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you can take something away from today's conversation. For me, Eric is a great example of somebody who's living his heart's calling. Somebody who's living also in the gift like Dara and I and really following what Joseph Campbell would call following the bliss. If you've been loving these transmissions, I invite you to share it with your friends, let others know. I'm building up this beautiful new podcast on the Podbean. I'd love to have you there following the episodes as they come live. And if you feel called and you are able and possible to financially support, then I welcome you over to the Patreon page of Dara and myself, and you can support us. It's a monthly contribution, so we can continue producing beautiful content and sharing it in the spirit of the gift. Sending you love. This is our time to rise.